welcome to the third series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. I'm Lisa. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and a business owner of It's Time for Change, I'm lucky enough to get involved with so many different aspects of employee engagement and experience. Whether that's about leadership style, mental health, the metaverse, attention and recruitment, after action reviews, or so much more, there is something on this podcast for everyone. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. You'll get to hear from some really interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. So today we are discussing how umbrellas can be a useful part of a leadership toolkit. And, and who better to join me than Graham Ballantyne, director and owner of UK Business Mentoring Group. Welcome, Graham. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So we got to know each other quite a few years ago. I keep losing track of time with the pandemic. Um, when we were talking at an event together around uh, workplace well-being. But today we're talking about a specific type of leadership. You actually have a number of roles. When I was looking at your profile on LinkedIn in terms of what you're a director of, um, there seem to be a number of different organisations. So I thought it'd be really helpful to you to explain that a little bit more about what it is that you actually do uh, and how you support businesses and leaders. Okay, well, thanks. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do like a little bit of variety, which probably comes across on LinkedIn. Um, but the main day job, as you said, UK business mentoring, and that's really working with business owners and boards around all things to do with business strategy, growth, turnaround, because obviously we've seen quite a lot of businesses under pressure, exit planning, but actually a lot of focus on people and leadership and developing the people and developing the owners to support the growth within their business. Because we know that as businesses change or the consumers de demand something different, then actually the skills of the owner or the skills of the board needs to be enhanced. Now, either that could be training internally or it could be actually um, additions to the team with the right skill set. So really helping owners and boards to navigate that environment, but very hands-on. So we don't just talk about it, it's very focused on implementation. The other side to what I do is very much, I'm very passionate about education and be that education for uh, younger people's either, either within schools or college university environment all that actually for C-suite leaders at the other end um, who are looking to really grow and develop their uh, leadership styles. And I do a lot of that within the banking environment because I'm a, an ex-banker to trade. So I, I do a lot because it's an environment I'm comfortable in and a, an environment I know. So that's kind of the two different hats that I that wear. And I like, it's a bit like my role. Your role is lovely and broad. So when you talk about... Um, leadership you're talking about kind of the work environment and the culture and how teams work and so on it encompasses so much so actually I was really looking forward to having this conversation today because I know you've got a lot to offer this conversation and um and when we talked a while ago you talked about one of your previous roles where you used an umbrella style of management mm -hmm. I'm interested to know and for listeners to understand a little bit more about what you mean by that term umbrella management or umbrella leadership. Yeah, so 
it was, it's really, I've used it in two different environments or two different cases. And it's really about how do you protect or shelter your team? So if you're managing a team, um, in my case, it was a team of leaders managing their team. So it was actually quite a cascade effect. And really, if you're managing within a toxic environment or with a leadership chain ahead of you, so it may just be one, one place ahead in the organization where either they're very inexperienced or they've got a very poor management or leadership style. And it's that piece about trying to gather your team together to protect them, to make sure they can stay on message, they can stay on task, that we actually do deliver what we need to do and are not taken off in a different direction. Now, that sounds quite, to recognize that at the start can actually be quite a, quite a piece of work because you don't really want to think it's something you need to do. Mm. So it's only really a style you would employ probably after being a few bumps in the road first and you think, you know, I cannot allow my team to be subjected to this. Mm. And within big organizations, sometimes it's not the whole organization that's toxic. You know, I, I worked in some huge companies and it's not necessarily the organization from the top that's toxic. It becomes toxic as it starts to come down. So you can find yourself in a toxic environment actually three months later is no longer toxic because the deck chairs have moved mm, I like that analogy the deck chairs yeah and that, and I think that's about having our eyes wide open to the fact that the scene can change and you know rather than being in that fixed mindset of knowing and expecting this is how things are actually looking for slight shifts and as you say when one person changes or something shifts in an organization at one level it can have that ripple effect you need to have our eyes open to that, don't we? The fact that, that things can change quite quickly. Yeah, and that is one of the pitfalls. And, and let's be honest, you know, the whole piece of leadership, you learn this mostly from the mistakes that you make rather than <laughs> the wonderful things that you do. I think we all could agree on that. But, you know, the, the umbrella leadership technique, it, it's not something to be taken lightly. You mm. know, it's not a style of management that I would ever employ on day one. But, you know, to probably bring it to life, if we've got, if the mission statement of the business is to be there for our customers and make sure we support our customers, and you've got somebody above you trying to make sure you're doing lots of things and your team are doing lots of things that don't support your customers, mm. then actually we've got a mismatch there. So how do we stay on message to support our customers if that is what we're supposed to be doing when someone else is telling you to do the complete opposite because something's filtered out wrong? So then the umbrella comes up to protect the team, to make sure we actually achieve what we want to achieve. Now, as I said, that could be because it's toxic or it could be that that leader who has given you the messages is just completely out of their depth or they're learning or they've been promoted. And, you know, I used to see this time and time again, and, and it's actually, I think it's quite a UK trait that when someone's very good at their job, we promote them to lead others. And just assume that they're actually good enough at leading and managing. And actually, a lot of the time, people are over-promoted because they can do it, they can't manage or lead it. And so it then leads to some very strange management leadership practices. I wonder as well whether it's something that ends up, as a leadership start, ends up being used in very political organisations. So it's not necessarily about being toxic. Well, they, one might argue that there's lots of politics around it feels quite toxic. But it just reminds me of, um, some organisations that I work with, and particularly the NHS, where there is so much change and there is so much um, going on that I know of some 
leaders who just feel it's their role to protect their team from all that noise like you say that they can actually focus on what they're supposed to be doing supposed to be delivering and trying to reduce the noise that would otherwise just interfere with with all that so you essentially then have the leader trying to have that almost create a protective bubble around them um for this for the sake of the team but that's because of the politics of what's going on around them yeah and i do think that's definitely a big part of it you know you hit the nail on the head there lisa it's you want your people to be the best of themselves and give the best of themselves, especially if you're trying to help customers, support customers, which you know was one of the environments I was working in. It was all about our customers and really getting our arms around our customers to help and support them, which I think that mantra is probably partly why I do what I do now, because mm. I've actually got the freedom to do that um, without the politics mm. uh, the point you make. But yeah, you, I suppose as a leader, you know, that bubble that you say, you know, the umbrella that I was talking about, yeah, you know, you don't want them to have to be involved in the politics. So actually give them the space. And as a leader, my job, as I saw it at that time in those environments, was to create that space for them to be able to actually do what they needed to do, perform, grow, mm. support and, and achieve. And actually, if I could take that on the top of the umbrella and kind of make sure it washed past them, um, then actually that was me doing a good job. Um and I think at the time, that's certainly something that, that I believe. But then, you know, if you keep doing it for too long, it can become a little bit uncomfortable. So tell us a bit more then about your specific experience about what prompted you to use that technique. So what was what was your story in terms of how that came about? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, I'd just been moved into a new role. I'd taken over a brand new team. I did know some of the team already, so there was a bit of trust there and, and, and people that I could work with. Um, and I was given a clear direction of what I needed to do. I'd taken over an underperforming area. There'd been some stuff going on that probably wasn't particularly palatable within the team. A few people had been moved on. So it, it was, I don't want to say it was a car crash, but it was a mm. car crash. <laughs> um, and I'd been given very direct instructions about what we needed to do, what we needed to achieve. Um, from the MD of that business within a, a greater business. And I was very clear, had a lot of respect for him as an individual, very clear on what needed to, to be done. He didn't give me any direction on how to do it. That's my job. Um, and so I had to go about trying to assemble a team as well as the existing team who were feeling a little bit bruised and, and battered. So that all seemed very clear. Um, and then what happened is, as all big organizations like to do, we had a restructure and somebody else came in over the top of me. Um, and, you know, the individual, you know, actually, we did get to know each other quite well further down the line. Um, and I did get to realise in the end that his heart was in the right place, but he was just completely out of his depth. Mm. You know? And he just kept panicking and he would quote all the senior leaders in the business by saying, so-and-so said, we've got to do this. And, and, and Claire said, we've got to do this. And John said, we've got to do this. And, and, and this kept going on. And every day it was something different. And... You know, I would say to, you know, to start with, you'd have the discussion that says, look, and I won't use the individual's name in case he happens to listen, because actually we do get on quite well now. But, um, you know, it was very much around the lines of, well, you know, we've been told this is what we're supposed to be doing. Why are you changing it every 24 hours? Ah, but you don't understand. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And he was managing five of me. And so all he was interested in is making sure that the 10 deliverables got delivered. So if I've delivered eight of mine and haven't done two, then if he can get me to do more in the other eight, 
that covers up for somebody else. So he was driving his own agenda and creating his own subculture and trying to get to my people over the top of me, under me, around me. Mm. And I remember, you know, thinking, I, you know, we can't do this. I was starting to get quite a lot of noise from my people coming up the way because mm-hmm. he was just jumping over the top. Hence, the umbrella goes up. Mm. You know, you come through me, you speak to me, I shelter my people. I give them the clear direction because I know what the clear direction is. I know what we need to do. I know what the leader at the top wants and expects. And that's what we're going to deliver. But I was getting this sort of subculture in the middle of someone really out of their depth trying to look after themselves. And I remember eventually saying to him one day, right, you've told me what you know Claire wants, what Bob wants, what Joe wants, what Ian wants. What do you actually want? You know, what is it you want us to do? And he could not answer the question because he just got so hung up in it. He could not tell me what he wanted me to do because he just turned into an order taker. Mm. And, you know, I talked about deck chairs earlier, shuffling the tears on the Titanic. Mm. Um, And, you know, it was all about trying to hit performance numbers. But, you know, one of my old colleagues once said to me, that's great, Graham, when you get these people, but weighing the pig doesn't make it any fatter. Mm, yeah um, and that's, that's a phrase that stuck with me he used to work in agriculture no surprises <laughs> but but you know it's, it's quite a phrase that you know you can move these things around but it doesn't mean you achieve anymore and mm. you just get yourself so yeah the umbrella was up to try and protect my people because there was just so many mixed messages that if this had got to them you know and I didn't sort of try and make sure I was the one voice of clarity and everyone mm. was doing what I needed mm. them to do with the purpose to do it, which was the message from the top. It, it just got lost all the way down through the organisation. Yeah, and I think you hit you know, on a really good point there, which is about good leaders need to be clear about what their role is. But I think more importantly, what their belief is and what it is that they personally are trying to achieve in that role. So I, when I ask, ask leaders about you know, what their purpose is, what drives them, and they just regurgitate the company's um, purpose, their mission. It's like, well, that's great, but what? how do you see your role in that? Where do you fit in? How do you make sense of all that? So what is it you're trying to be? And there's a real difference, isn't there, between a leader who's just kind of spouting off all these deliverables that the company's got to try and uh, achieve and then uh, me as a leader in terms of well actually I want to enable my team to be their best I want to enable them to feel safe to be creative or I want you know whatever it might be but having that sense of I want to be this person to enable my team to do x y and z and we tend to forget leaders thinking about intentionally how they want to be we just they just get absorbed into the the greatness of the company and just take on everything out there rather than actually looking inwards to start with yeah and and you know this individual you know he wasn't a bad guy mm. but he'd been over promoted out of his depth wanted to do a good job but actually didn't know how to do a good job mm. and was just panicking and it was it was it was kind of um i've heard it described before sort of feet to the flame management mm. um, and he was going to do that to everybody else around him and and he was you know he wanted to do a good job quite proud that he'd been promoted and very pleased um about it but it it really was panic stations and actually there was nothing that was going on that needed to be panic stations you know mm. i'm using that analogy it was man the lifeboats but actually we don't need the lifeboats because nothing's actually broken no but i think it's that typical when someone 
when their emotional arousal is high and they end up feeling stressed and panicky, their imagination goes into overdrive and we end up just focusing on problems that don't actually exist. Everything's very black and white. And as you say, there seems to be disaster everywhere. And actually, if that person had trusted their instincts and their people around them and asked you guys actually what's going on and how can he be of help to you to enable you to do what you need to do, it'd be a very different take. But I think you're describing a situation that so many leaders find themselves in and they don't feel they can reach out and ask for help because surely I should know how to do this. So I've just got to do it based on my best guess or based on what I've experienced, even if if that hasn't been particularly successful um, or particularly positive, is that I feel that there's a lot of pressure, isn't there, on leaders to to know how to lead without having necessarily the support. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was was relatively new in my leadership role, although I had done smaller leadership roles previously. He was completely out of his depth in the size of the task of leadership role. So you are right in some respects, think, well, I should know how to do this and I'll deal with it. But he's not listening. No. He is absolutely not listening. He's so caught up in the moment in himself and his environment that although I've tried to explain, I'm, I'm not managing to influence. Now, I think, you know, I'm sure we'll go on to explore, explore these areas that, you know, nowadays I'm pretty sure I could influence it. But back then I couldn't. So what did I do? Put the umbrella up, protect the team. Yeah. But I, I, on that point, I think actually if people, people need to be open to hearing the feedback. So you're, you need to be very self-aware and really that comes a lot from looking at what's going around you, your impact on other people um, and actually actively asking for that feedback. So if that person's not up for listening and there are a lot of people who decide actually I'm doing it this way, even if I don't really know what I'm doing, I've decided I'm doing it this way anyway. If they're not open to hearing the feedback, then people can shout in all sorts of different ways and provide that feedback, but it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, and I think that's, you know, you're right. That's when you end up putting the umbrella up. But that umbrella can't stay up long term, I'm guessing. Yeah, and, and you make a huge point and, and probably the biggest mistake I made. So on that occasion, the umbrella stayed up and I took the umbrella down and it kind of worked quite well. I had another... Um, example where it was really particularly toxic and I'm not going to go into the, all the ins and outs of it but the umbrella was up for a long time um, and actually you know to an extent that I decided that the the um, company and I would part ways so I kept the umbrella up all the way through the transition until eventually I exited left field mm-hmm. um, but I had such a great team around me at the time and you know it was the hardest decision of my career was I'm going to leave the company but I don't want to leave the people Mm. absolutely amazing team and we still get together now you know even up into just before COVID we'd meet up every three to four months as a team and this was a team of leaders and and a great great team to work with Um, but I remember you know we actually went out for a curry um, one night and this this is really how it hit back to me how I'd got it wrong and we went out for a curry one night and we were sitting around the table and there's about eight of us. Um, and I remember my deputy turning around to me and saying, boss, and he used to call me boss and I hated it. So he called me boss all the more because he knew I hated it. <laughs> um, and he turned around and said, boss, I cannot believe the amount of that's come down since you've disappeared. And I, what do you mean? He said, well, 
all this stuff just coming left field. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting hit in the face, hit in the head, hit in the backside. Mm. Um, you know, and and actually nothing had changed above, other than I I'd been removed from the from the environment. Mm. I didn't appreciate how much you were keeping from us and how much you were actually taking on your own shoulders. And that's quite an important point that if you take it for too long, actually the umbrella gets really full. And actually you as the leader will struggle to actually keep the umbrella up. Mm. So you're taking all this pressure onto yourself. Um, and actually that's quite dangerous for you in mental health. And I know you've discussed that in other, mm. uh, other uh, podcasts and so we won't go down that road, but you know, it is quite stressful, but actually I could have done with poking a few holes in the umbrella. So my team were more acclimatized and accustomed to some of the environment they were working in. Um, but I really wanted to shelter them from it because I knew it was toxic, but I knew it would change. You know, there's some good people had come into the business who I knew and had the confidence would change. But yeah, I really should have, you know, poked the holes in, especially with the senior members of my team. I really should have let them step out from under the umbrella and just see a bit more of what was coming. Um, and I did a lot of reflection on that because I think the first time I got it right, but I think I got it right with luck. I took the umbrella down when it was safe to take it down because circumstances changed. This time around, circumstances didn't change, so the umbrella just stayed up right to the end. Um, and that wasn't good for them because, you know, it really, they were, they were getting, they felt like they were being attacked almost. Yeah, and, I, and it's, you can see how many, or how easy it is to fall into that trap of just keeping the umbrella up because it's a natural instinct when you're a leader that's clearly you have been who cares about your team you want to protect them but you almost then end up creating like microclimate don't you where you're and, and you know you leaving them and taking that umbrella with you just exposes them so much um that actually it can it can undermine everything very very quickly but it's such a natural instinct to want to just keep protecting people as long as you possibly can yeah, and I think what was interesting about it is, is some of the points along the way, you start to think, is it me that's creating, use the word microclimate, which I think is, you know, it's a good way of describing it. Is it me that's creating the artificial microclimate? And mm. am I actually protecting them from something that's not actually there? Mm. Um, and am I actually part of the problem? So you start to doubt yourself as to whether you're doing the right things. Um, but I think with experience, you start to learn that you are doing the right things. You recognize the signs of, of where things are not right. Um, and, you know, there was one of these moments where I'm, I remember sitting in my office and I'm three or four of my team with me. And we were sitting to listen to, to uh, um, an online sort of, uh, what would you call it? A, 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 you know, sort of myth from the top. We've got a new leader who had come in right mm. at the top um, who was going to transform the business. And I had, there was myself and three or four of my team sitting in it. And this was probably when I thought, you know, actually, I am doing the right thing. And the person came in and said, you know, you, you people are really good at what you do. You do this sort of stuff and that sort of stuff. And they actually clearly didn't know what we did. They yeah. didn't have a clue what we did. And I was at the stage of thinking, maybe I've created something artificial here I shouldn't have. And then they started talking about you guys do this stuff and that stuff. And this was a really senior leader. I'm talking, you know, number two in the whole organization, of a big organization. Mm. We had no idea what we did. And you kind of thought, hmm, maybe it's not me that's the problem then. Maybe this climate is the right climate mm. to, to actually do it. But I think that would have been the time I'd have taken the umbrella down and it kind of reinforced me to keep it back up again. Um, and then, you know, it just stayed up. 
and, and actually it should have come down or a few holes poked in it a lot sooner. And I think, you know, what you're saying about the amount of pressure then that leaders can feel on their shoulders and actually the risk to them of their own burnout and so on. Also for their team just to have a greater sense of um, understanding about what their leader has on their shoulders mm-hmm. can change the way they their expectations and the way they interact and so on. Because I think sometimes, you know, if we have a lot of stuff on our shoulders and but we people around us don't realise that. So we end up being a bit snappier than usual or making a decision that they don't really understand why I've had to make that decision or it can affect our behaviour just because we're holding a lot of pressure. And if people around us don't know just quite how much we're holding, I've seen it happen with some leaders where people just assume that they are just someone who is quite grumpy or um, who makes decisions they don't get why or um, their behaviours aren't necessarily what the team always understands but they're doing but if they understood the context they'd have a huge amount of compassion yeah definitely and I have seen that in you know numerous colleagues that work with I think I, I was quite fortunate I didn't fall into that that trap I yeah. think somebody must have said to me that it was time to to move on before mm-hmm. kind of got there but you know it's something I recognize a lot and actually you know there was about three or four of my colleagues all decided we were going to move on at the same time um and I could see that in a couple of them very much so it, it looked like they were all an awful lot further down that track, a track I didn't want to go down. Um, but, you know, you, you do what you think's right at the time um, yeah. and then do reflect afterwards. And, you know, I look at it and think, you know, if I had my time again, would I do the same things? And, yeah, I think to start with, I would. Um, I think it's a very useful tool to have in your kit bag. It's certainly not the first tool that you'd pull out. It's probably one of the final tools, in my opinion, you'd pull out. But, you know, you do need to think about when you need to either rein it in or put holes in it, as we talked about. And it's a bit akin to, you know, when you see a leader, you know, something we used to talk about a lot um, with my leadership team was, you know, when you see your people struggling, do you get in the trenches and help them or do you lead and manage them? And I always took the view that you kind of get in the trenches and help them, but remember to get out pretty damn quick. Yeah. Um, Get in there and get out. Um, where some people will just stand at the back and watch. And I'm not sure that's the right thing. Pe- people don't always want to be told what to do when they genuinely don't know how to be yeah. to do it. They want to be shown. Um, and I think the umbrella management piece is, is kind of put it up and put it down and put it up again and put it down and use it as a tool in your kit bag, but not make it almost like a crutch. And I think, you know, certainly where I got it wrong, it, was, it had become a crutch. And I think there's that sense of... It- and you were alluding to this actually if you put your umbrella up and then you're protecting your team whether they almost become a separate little entity that you know when you've got this leader very senior person who clearly doesn't know enough about what your team does if you haven't got the holes in the umbrella for some stuff to trickle down um for your team to be exposed to actually that stuff's that not also maybe trickling up as much as it could. So do other, does the wider organization see the value of your team? Does it see the strength in your team? How well your team is actually performing because you have created that fantastic culture for it, for it to perform well. So it's almost that two-way flow, isn't it? Through the holes of the umbrella. 
Yeah, uh, very much so, because, you know, I'm, I've always wanted my team to get the chance to shine with the people further up the organisation. I hate leaders that sort of you know, look at me, I'm wonderful because all my team are doing a great job. You know, I just think that's so dysfunctional. You know, if anything, you want to be pushing your people to, to, to bask in that glory of what they've done. Mm. Um, but what actually probably did sort of help slightly was actually having, you know, I had three of four of my senior team actually in that audio and they actually heard it for themselves. And I think that was, you know, we're a reflection and, you know, we, we talk about it. That was the, the pivotal moment for them that they thought, you know, to use the phrase, what's the boss been up to? Mm. Because I just listen to this and that's not what he's been telling us, you know, because I was almost covering for the senior leaders when they were coming out with some bizarre things. Yeah. And they heard it for themselves, listening to it. And I think that was, I think they struggled to deal with that because that wasn't the message they'd been getting from me that this person really was out of their depth. And I guess then there'll be some people listening to this who um, might not be inclined to kind of protect the team at all. It's just like, this is how it is here. And there'll be other people who might take the approach that you took, which is actually, I want to make sure I'm protecting them so that they can do a brilliant job. And those people, I guess, might be asking the question that if we create too many holes and expose them to that noise, then that potentially is going to distract them. It's potentially going to impact on their performance. So what are your thoughts or what's your experience around that in terms of actually if we if our teams are exposed to that noise that, you know, the umbrella would protect them from, surely that's going to impact on how they perform day to day. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably the magic trick is understanding the size of the holes that you can actually yeah. pull. And it's, you know, I, I used to talk to people about, you know, I suppose, um, slow and regular. So, you know, little holes and often. Um, because, yeah, it's something, you know, your senior team, so it's, say you're number two, if you've got a, a deputy, I think you need to expose them to more of it. They can't support you properly unless they know what's going on. So with them, you know, it's differential management. You do need to give them a bit more exposure. And with hindsight, I certainly should have done that because he's got, he had broad enough shoulders to have taken it on. Mm. Um, and he's doing some fantastic leadership stuff now nowadays himself um, but actually I think when you get down to your less experienced leaders I think you've got to be a little bit more comfortable uh, so careful and, and so I do think it is that differential management piece I think for some you need to, if you know your team and they trust you and you trust them then you understand who you can expose to a little bit more and who you should try and keep away because they're just not ready to juggle the balls. It doesn't mean they're a bad leader. It just means mm. they're not ready. So I think it's almost slightly different holes for slightly different people. Oh, but I think that's so well said, Graham, because that's something I'm always banging on about, um, people really knowing people. So you can't have a blanket approach and you have to know the individuals within your team to know what is right for them, what, what's not right. I always liken it to um, being a parent. And when your children are very little, they're toddlers and they, you're that secure base for them. You know, when you have babies and they just stay with you and they know that you're, they're safe. And it gets to a point where you're going to allow them to venture off. You know, you might be in someone, you know, one of those awful soft play centers or something like that. And they're, they're teetering <laughs> off and they might go sort of five meters and then they come rush, rushing back to you. Um, but you're okay with them going and then there'll be at that point where you can't see them but you know they're safe because they're there now there's no there's no golden age to them being able to do that so it depends on how that child responds to you how they respond to being able to 
walk away, try things on their own, be exposed to a little bit of stuff outside of your immediate care and attention, but know that you've got their back and know that they can come back to you. And I think you, everyone is so different within a team about how confident they feel to be able to venture away and hear a little bit more of the bigger picture or try something new or be exposed to something different and know that actually it's okay because they're still under your protection. They can still come back to you and ask you questions or say, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point that, you know, within that leadership team, you know, I had people who really aspired to do bigger roles and, and mm. go on in bigger roles than, than what I was doing. I also had others that were really comfortable, did a great job and didn't. And I think for those who aspired to do bigger roles and needed more exposure, because they needed to understand if that was the environment that they wanted to, to, to work in. But that said, the environment would change that often, that, that actually, I think that's what made it a little bit different because sometimes it'd be toxic, sometimes you know, it was fantastic. You know, the, you know one, leader, one leader change could transform yeah. business. And you know, I remember having, actually the example we talked about earlier where I had that chap who was you know, out of his depth, you know, heart in the right place, but all over the place, the leadership above him changed to someone I'd worked with before, who was an absolutely fantastic leader. And I knew him reasonably well. I worked from before. He actually became a mentor of mine, um, you know, into my career. And, you know, the, 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 the chat we spoke about earlier ended up being the problem in the middle because I knew what the message was from two up. <laughs> I knew what it was. I knew how it was expected. Mm. But actually his and my leadership styles were very similar. And so he was very much about getting, interacting with my team and my leaders and getting to hear it from the shop floor, the same as that's my style, whereas the other shop was more standoffish. And, and eventually it just made the guy in the middle redundant. The, he, he served no, nice guy, he served no purpose. Mm. Um, he wasn't needed. And, and, and that's what happened in the end because there was just no point even being there. He was actually blocking the messages both sides. Mm. So the culture went from one of being extremely toxic to probably one of the best cultures I've worked in and in fact I actually worked for that individual again directly um, about three or four years later um, and we still speak 15 to 20 years later in fact we were I think curry seems to be a, a thing but I was he's actually based up in Scotland and um, you know I actually had a curry with him four or five months ago and we were chewing things over and it was a, bit, a little bit rules reversed, which is quite mm -hmm. nice. I was able to give him a bit of advice, which was was, was quite pleasing. But um, it just shows you how one individual sometimes can make such a, a difference. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, if, if you say as a leader with the umbrella, you need to be looking up and trying to work out what's going on above you in the culture and where you can influence and what you can do to change it. Whereas a lot of the time you're too busy looking down. And, yes. and analogy you use, Lisa, about things going, through the umbrella, mm. a good one. And I suppose I was thinking, are there other techniques or things you've seen that you've come up against or, or experienced that you think you know these would be good techniques to share? Because you do kind of want to look down when really you should be looking up. Yeah, and I think part of that comes into being really clear about people's development plans. So um, you know, like you know, the leader you've been talking about, who just was out of his depth, he clearly just ended up there. For the wrong reasons and when you're a leader and you're looking at people in your team and you because you know them individually you know the ones who actually you do need to allow them to glimpse through those holes and to see what's going on in the wider context and 
help them work out okay so this is the challenge how do you navigate it and it's about that you know you've talked about mentoring it's about that role modeling it's about I could do it like this or that particular manager over there or that leader is dealing with like that but this is the impact so let's look at how else we can deal with it and it's beginning I think for me just to be draw people's attention to different ways of handling the same situation so that people see they have choices and they see they just learn to navigate as part of also developing their resilience if they're you know if you're too protected from something you you don't become resilient um to that to that thing you have to be exposed a little bit but again knowing that how you look after yourself so knowing that you've got someone looking out for you knowing what your limits are how you kind of prioritize your self-care but you've got to have exposure to some of these challenges but in a planned way where it's being modeled how to navigate and how to understand and interpret and decide actually what feels right for you and what doesn't feel right for you and the impact of doing things in different ways yeah and and that is so important understanding the the different tools I think you used that word you know the tools in your kit bag and you know I'm a bit of a history buff and so I always used to talk to my my teams around you know if you think of the old heraldic shield and the shield possibly being the different tools in your kit bag so what does it say about you what do you stand for um and actually what are the tools that need to be on there that you're going to use and some of them you know you could say it's a little bit like the umbrella but that would be one of them because obviously it's out in front but it's having those different tools and, and actually the the crests changed mm-hmm. as you get more experienced and you actually have more to, to play with so it's quite an analogy I, you know i like my history analogies mm-hmm. um I used to try and get them to visualize or even draw it and think about, you know, what are the techniques you use in these situations and what are the techniques where the gaps are? Mm. And I think, you know, we've already also mentioned um, authenticity, kind of being authentic. And when you help people understand that it's good to be authentic and it's good to, you know, if you're finding something, a challenge, how, how that sits with you and how you then think you're perceived by others if you cover that up or if you ask questions, um, if you admit that you don't know things and begin to unpick that a little bit, because I think it reminds me actually of a quote that you said, told me a while ago, which is, um, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Um, and I love that. So tell me a little bit more about why that particular quote resonated for you, because I think that fits for me with so much around authenticity. Wow, you know, I'm I'm amazed you uh, you'd written that one down because that's awesome. <laughs> we spoke about that, and yeah, it was um, it it was something that you know I had someone who was um, it started off because I'm I'm not a great one for lists. I really don't write a lot of lists, and I'm very lucky that I've got someone I'm someone who can actually if I've got stuff to do, I can really remember about it, or I'll pop it in my diary if it's a mm. if it's a hard line and I was I, I was actually doing something one day um had a new new uh, area manager come and was working for me and I was going through stuff with her um and setting her some goals and and and, and um, guidelines that she needed to, to to work on um and she obviously know we didn't work together she obviously noticed I hadn't written anything down so you know she went out the office and popped next door to my PA who actually knew her quite well and my PA said but she said, I can't believe Graham, he asked me to do a load of things, but he never wrote any of them down, so I'm not even going to bother. 
<laughs> and my PA said, "You don't worry about it. You know, I think you should bother because actually, when he does write it down, that's when he's likely to forget it." Um, because she <laughs> started making lists, that was the stress piece. So that was one of the, the scenarios. And then it actually, you know, I had that a few times with different different people. Um, and, you know, I am a great one for following things up. You know, if I ask somebody to do something by a certain time and if, if, if they haven't come to me and told me um, that there's a problem, there's an issue, or they need some help, you know, the onus is on them. They're leaders. You know, they're not children, as we were talking mm-hmm. about. And so, you know, I did have, when I've gone into new teams, people who think they could just get away with it. And that's really where that phrase came in, because, you know, if somebody had a problem at school or with one of their children or they had to go to the hospital or whatever, um, I've always been very accommodating around that and, and, and around their families. And, and where that came around was because I actually found someone mugging me and telling me that there'd been a family tragedy and there hadn't been a family tragedy. Mm. Um, and that's where the phrase came out. And it was one that kind of stuck because mm. I think they thought I was a bit soft um, because I would always allow people to put their family and their needs first. But that was all about give and take. You know, if I was going to do that for them, which I genuinely believe is the right thing to do, then it comes with a level of trust and responsibility. And, you know, I've used that word trust a lot. It's probably the biggest thing I talk to people about is trust and trusting the people around you and trusting the people you work for. And if I look at all the amazing teams that I've either managed or been a member of, that was the common piece. I trust the people I work with Mm. and I trust the people I work for. And I cannot think of an amazing team I've been in where those two things were not in place. I couldn't agree more. I think if you don't have trust, you don't have a, an effective team. You don't have a team that can perform well. Um, trust underpins everything, doesn't it? And actually half the problems we've been seeing with debate about remote working and everything that's been going on through the pandemic and beyond, you know, I question a lot of people's motives when they're uh, complaining about certain practices. It's like, actually, what's that really about? Is it about... Um, you know, this particular policy? Is this about your ability to trust your team um, or their trusting you or you know, what's really going on here? And actually, if you kind of drill down, often you'll find that there is an issue around someone doesn't trust someone. And, yeah. and, and if you've got that problem within your team, you know, you, you, there are some really serious fundamentals you need to address before you even start looking at you know, putting up umbrellas and pulling all the other tools out because you've, you've got to look at that number one part of people being able to perform together. Yeah, and, and I think I probably must talk about trust almost every day of my working life. Mm. And, you know, I, I work with some fantastic businesses and, and boards and owners. And, you know, regularly they'll say to me, but I just don't trust the people can do it as well as I can. Mm. And so you have to pick away what do they mean by trust? Yeah. Because actually, when you get to underneath it, it's not they don't trust people's intent or their integrity. It's, it's not that. But we, if I say to you, Lisa, I don't trust you, mm. you probably feel quite hurt. Or yeah. well, where, where's got that from? We, yeah. You know, we know each other a bit, but, you know, yeah. we don't even know each other that well. Yeah. Um, but if I said I don't trust you, you feel quite hurt. But if I explain to you what trust is, and, you know, it's about integrity, it's about intent, it's about your competency to do it. Now, I could give you a task and have no idea if you're competent to do it, Lisa. But I could trust you that you'll deliver on time. Mm. I could trust that your intent to do a great job. Mm. I could trust your integrity. 
I don't know if you could do the task because you've never delivered it for me. So that's trust. Mm. You have to break it into the different types because we associate trust usually with integrity and intent. And mm. nine times out of 10, that's not the bit we don't trust. It's the deliverables. Yes. And once you break that down, and you know, you can tell I get very passionate about this because when you break it down in that way, you can really build trust very quickly. And coming back to the umbrella, if my team didn't trust me, they wouldn't have wanted to get under the umbrella in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And I, it is, it's so true, isn't it? That whole um, trusting someone else's ability to do something. And when we are, we work in such a busy world that we hold so much in our heads. I mean, I do write gazillion lists. <laughs> so, um, so I've got a list <laughs> and in my head, but it's that sense of, um, when we're really busy we almost don't feel we've got the time to explain things properly or we don't trust that they're going to do it as well as we can because we know how this works because we've always done it like this and they've never done it so therefore they're not going to do it the same and for me that comes back to that development piece about you know if you want to if someone's got the right intent they've got integrity and so on then that's that's your fundamentals that's the important bit the how they know how to do something their competence around something you can develop that and as soon as you identify that as a specific need it's like well i know how how to address that now i know that they need some mentoring or modeling or they need some training or whatever it might be so that they then know how to do that and yes we've got to have that sense of space for them to make mistakes and we've got to be accommodating and um we've got to think about our use of language so we're not criticizing when it's not quite as spot on as perhaps we might have done it ourselves but that's part of someone's development that's part of their growth and unless we enable that and allow that we, these people are not going to be able to develop in the way we want them to and then they suddenly make that massive leap into doing a role that they're not equipped to do so I think it's part of our leadership role yeah and you, you hit on a really important piece there about this you know deliverables mm. and, and actually getting people to deliver and, you know and one of the things that when I'm speaking to business owners in particular it's, well, that's not the way I would do it, is the phrase I get a lot of the time. And, and my retort to that is always, well, you don't need them to do it the way you did it. You need them to get the results that you would get. Yeah. But actually, if you've got the right team, I actually want them to get better results than I would do it. Because mm. that means I've surrounded myself with better people. Mm. So I'm trying to say, I mean, you want to surround yourself with people who are actually better at doing it than you. Mm. Albeit, they may not approach it from the right way. And as long as they're not doing anything that's, immoral illegal mm. whatever, but actually approaching it in a different way nothing that's going to bring the business into disrepute or, or cause you any other angst then actually what's the issue you know work within the tram lines as long as they've got tram lines mm. they can bounce around between the in, in between the tram lines um but you don't really want them to do it the same as you you want them to do it better exactly and it reminds me of a, um, a day i'm planning to run the leadership team next week which is all around, they've got certain deliverables and how the teams are working together at the moment is not achieving that quite as they want to because there's been a huge amount of change. And so rather than the director saying, right, this is how we're going to do it, we're having a day where everyone's going to put themselves into, it's a bit like Dragon's Den, they're going to put themselves into teams to put on the hat of being the director and say, right, this is how we're going to design it based on everything we know, based on, and we're going to do a lot around the whole context. We have a free reign to say, these are our deliverables. 
this is the context in which we're working. These are the kind of the limitations. So this is, you know, we've got to be re realistic, but actually we're going to get recreative in terms of what does our structure need to be? What do, how, how are we going to work day to day in order to achieve that? And I love the fact that the director of that um, larger team has been able to step back and say, I want them to design it. So they know where they're going, but how they're getting there and what that's going to look like no one knows at the moment but that trust of just saying everyone's on the same page everyone's got the same intention everyone's driven by the same purpose we're very passionate people but it's about what that looks like day to day we know that's got to change so give them the blank piece of paper and let them design it that sounds absolutely amazing i'd love to be a fly in the wall mm -hmm. for that it's, it's it's empowering people isn't it yeah because if it's their idea they'll probably do a better job exactly um, that then something you've designed and possibly not quite giving them the right directions yeah. Yeah. Um, of instructions. Um, so that sounds, you know, that person is clearly quite a brave leader, I would mm. suggest, that allowing this to happen. Um, but, you know, really good. I'm sure the results will be amazing. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, do, do let me know how it goes, because, um, you know, I think some people are going to realise that the job of the leader is actually a bit more complicated yeah. than what <laughs> oh, people will rise to the challenge. Yeah, love exactly. It. So tell me, Graham, what some of the leaders who might be listening to this should be taking away from this conversation. So kind of what are some of the must-dos? Because there's lots we've talked about today that will yeah. kind of get those creative juices running. But and in terms of these are the things that really need to be paramount to a leadership practice. What are some of those ideas? So I think the first one's trust. Mm. You know, we talked about that. They've got to feel they can trust you. And I actually think the onus is on you to allow them to trust you rather than you to trust them first. OK, and, and that's all I've always worked from the basis of I trust. I'm going to tell everyone I trust them, you know, but I would find ways of saying, but don't let me down. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, it doesn't get to the stage usually of, you know, don't, don't uh, you know, don't assume my sort of uh, kindness is weakness. That's kind of the other end of the scale when they kind of have done. But you want to trust them and you've got to set the parameters to allow them to operate within. So, you know, tram lines are talked about, you know, that's, you've got to be clear. Then, you know, you've got to give people the why. What is the purpose? What are we trying to achieve? Especially if it's something, you know, quite wonderful. You know, if we're trying to do something, you know, there's the, the old story, you know, and I even know if it really happened. It's in all the management books about JFK going around NASA. And you'll have heard it umpteen times. I'm sure lots of the people listening to it, but it always comes and resonates back to me. JFK goes up to the janitor who's cleaning the floor, mopping the floor and said, what are you doing? You know, what is it you do here? Which kind of obvious question. That's why I'm not sure it actually happened. He's got a mop in his hand. And he said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. You know, now you read that in lots of books. We've heard about it. Whether it actually happens, I, you know, I'm not so sure. But it's, it is great. You've got to have purpose, what we're trying to do. And if the purpose is really more than just making money, Mm. but it's about creating something an environment for people then you've really got to talk about that purpose so purpose you know trust for me purpose but being clear on your expectations and empathy mm. you want to have empathy as a leader nowadays you know we talk about generation x and y and and these things are changing you must have empathy so you know these are the key pieces for me that you have you have to have as a leader but also it's right to demand things back. So once you've put those things out, then being clear about what your expectations back are. And if you're leading people who lead other people, 
I think the final piece I would do is you need to test that they're leading in the right way. So if I go, we go back to that example where I had the chap that was my boss that was pretty dysfunctional, the person above him should have been checking. Mm. And it's not, it's you know, a great mantra, catching people doing things right. We're brilliant in this country at catching people doing things wrong. Mm. Actually, catch people doing things right and model that great behavior. So, you know, for me, it's, it's purpose and why it's trust, it's being really clear, but humility and empathy go a long, long way. You talked about showing a bit of yourself, fantastic piece of research done years and years ago called Jahari's Window, which you're mm. very familiar with, Lisa. Mm. And I talk to my new leaders about that every time. Give away a little bit of yourself. That starts the trust equation really quickly. And have your umbrella ready if you need it. That's the last piece that I would use. But having it, you know, we're talking about that today, but have your umbrella if you need to use it. But, you know, I would obviously counsel it's it's not the first thing that I would go to. It's not the first tool in the kit bag. But if you've done all the other things we've just spoken about, the trust, the empathy, the purpose, the direction, if the culture is toxic or the bubble you're in is toxic or the leader above you is either toxic or just misleading, and mm. um, use that phrase, then get your umbrella out and put it up. It will give you time to manoeuvre. If nothing else, it will give you and your, time, your team time to manoeuvre to not do near jerk and start to think about how are we going to plan this through? And there's lots of techniques you can use to then try and influence that. But mm. if you just want to, let's press stop. Let's get the umbrella up. Let's give everyone time and space to think about what we need to do. Because sometimes, and I think we said talked about it at the front at the start, sometimes you put the umbrella up and the problem actually eventually disappears because things just move around. Sometimes it doesn't and you need to take action. Yeah. You've summed it up so well. I've I've loved having that conversation with you. And actually, I could feel like I could talk to you for another hour on <laughs> picking some of these things. And actually, that's why. I thought you'd be brilliant to, to join me in this conversation because um, we talk the same language in terms of what we you know, think are very important characteristics of good leadership. And I think when you do have to put your umbrella up, um, if you let your team know that you're putting your umbrella up and why you're putting it up, again, that further strengthens that trust, that's further demonstrating your authenticity and um, you know just what's going on in the real world and I think that strengthens um, relationships but yeah put it up with that awareness that it can't step forever you know you, you can't shield yourself from the storm yeah and I think a lot of your team probably do recognize when you put the umbrella up but you create you use the word microclimate you create that microclimate and people forget because now they've got space to operate so I think when the umbrella goes up in a lot of cases people recognize you've done something you've changed you've changed the rules of the game but it's that new microclimate and we all get comfortable because actually it's quite a nice place to be. But actually it is a nice place to be, but probably not that nice for the leader that's holding the umbrella. It's not the nicest place to be there. And you know, you, you, you put it very articulate that actually some of the challenges that that leader can then face if the umbrella's up for too long. Yeah. So before we finish, my um, guest, Colin Minto, who was uh, on my podcast recently, has provided a blind question for you, Graham. Ouch. Brace yourself. <laughs> okay, this is a great question. Given the pros and cons of the World Wide Web and everything it has brought to us, good and bad, if it had a kill switch, would you push it? 
Wow, what a question. What a question. Yeah. Um, I've got to say no. Um, you know, there are some some things that are, you know, really, you know, unsavory and, and it's obviously not what the web intended. But, you know, I was actually, um, I, did do, I mentioned I do a bit of education. I was actually with a group of students yesterday at university and we were doing, I was getting them to do a bit of a research project. And, you know, they've all got the phones and the tablets and their devices. And, you know, if I'd asked them to do research, I gave them half an hour to do the research. If we didn't have the World Wide Web, they couldn't have done that research in half an hour. That would have been days. Mm. You know, they'd found the library for days, but actually they could do it in half an hour. And they were quoting me stats around GDP and, you know, target markets and what customers want and demands and backing it up with fact and quote. And, you know, to take that away would be absolutely terrible you know because i couldn't have done what i did yesterday so it was inspiring watching them learn new things and actually recite them back to me within half an hour yeah so that's what it gives you that's the power it gives you but it does come with a warning and there is more that needs to be done and i think the industry are trying to do more um but no you you wouldn't want to kill it but you know what a fantastic question i yeah i couldn't agree more and actually i like your response because i think it almost links with what we're talking about having an umbrella do we want to put an umbrella up and protect everyone from what's on the world wide web well no actually we want them to be um you know empowered and informed and everything by being able to access that but you have to let people know about the risks as well you can't protect them entirely um by keeping them off it but have the parameters around it let people um access it with their eyes wide open yeah, I think, you know, watching the students learning certain things, there were certain things that really shattered some of their preconceptions. We were doing stuff about other countries and, and, and business climates, and it really opened their eyes to some of the stuff that's going on in other countries that they thought they knew. Some of these countries were countries they thought they knew. Um, and actually doing the research themselves rather than the information that's just given to them. So, so they were actually thinking, ah, I can have an opinion about this, and it's not the opinion that everybody else has got. You know, yeah. that's fabulous. That's how you grow. Yeah. Graham, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're very busy. Um, so very, very grateful for you giving this hour to join this conversation. And I'd love to touch base with you again at some point in the future and continue exploring some of these um, aspects a little bit more detail. But thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been really great chatting to you. No, absolute pleasure. And, you know, I hope from your listeners, if, if one person takes away and makes somebody a better leader, then it's been fantastic. But no, we could go on for hours, but no, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to engage and thrive. I'm always about providing real value and so I need your help. Please rate the podcast and review it to let me know what you have enjoyed and found helpful. Maybe you also have ideas about specific topics or guests who you would like to hear from in the future. If you would like to explore any of the points covered in these episodes, I would love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation. Email me at it's time for change or connect with me on LinkedIn or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the show notes. Please do let me know what inspires you. That way I can make sure what I'm talking about is most helpful. Until next time, bye for now.